Bible study, everybody. Good to see you tonight. Glad you're here. Let's start our time in prayer and then get moving with whatever God has for us in a lesson tonight. So, Father, thanks for being here with us. Thanks for being present here. And I pray that we would shift our focus uh, from whatever it's been on today or whatever myriad of things it's been on today and shift our focus to you. Uh, to recognize your presence, to acknowledge your presence, to find ourselves at your feet today, tonight. We ask God that you would teach us. We ask that you would bring revelation into our lives. We pray that we would really just have open ears and be ready to receive what you want to say and what you want to do. So have your way, God. And uh, we ask that you be glorified through this time. Open up your word to us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Jeannie, welcome all the way from Chicago. Yes. It's totally worth it. Yes. Flew in for Bible study tonight. Thank you. Among other things. But I'm glad you're here. And Trisha. Trisha flew in from where where are they where are they living now? Harpersville. Harpersville, New York. Outside of Binghamton, New York. So Trisha, good to see you. Glad you're here. You're feeling left out, aren't you? No? Okay. And everybody else, great to see you. You're usually here though, so no special greeting tonight. If you have your Bibles, let's open to Job chapter 14. Uh, we've been spent some time in Job. We're going to continue on through Job chapter 14. If you need a Bible, you can find one on the table. So I'm sure there's one around. Don's waving one if you need one. You can feel free to use a Bible. If you need a Bible, you can take one. We obtain them to give away. Job chapter 14. As you're turning there, just a quick reminder that uh, we do have an interactive feature for Bible study through a website. The website is www.speakpipe.com. That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E.com. Slash Monday Night Bible Study. All one word. If you go there, you'll find a button. You can toggle the button and leave us a message. It, it looks like what would be appear to be voicemail. And so if you have a question, comment, you, you want to... Say something about a Bible study. You just want to say hi. Let us know who you are, where you're listening to us from. We would love to hear from you. And you can feel free to do that anytime, 24-7. And when we receive your message, we'll make sure to play it during the meeting. So we'd love to hear from you. Job chapter 14 and verse 15. Have a volunteer to read that, please. All right, thanks for reading that. The language that's used in this verse is uh, legal in nature. It comes from the legal system, or what would later be used in a legal system, as it's describing this. And the, uh, the idea behind it is, is the idea of something like a subpoena. 
And it, what it would be in, in regular terms would be that the call has gone out to come to trial at once. And so the cry is out, and the call is out, and what Job is saying is that when that call comes out, that he will eagerly answer and will eagerly go, excitedly, actually. Because you think about the, what Job is facing here, he's facing a bunch of guys that are his friends that are accusing him of something that isn't true. And so they are well-meaning, I suppose. They are trying to make sense out of a situation that was really difficult. And so they are speaking to him. They're speaking to the situation he's in to the best of their ability. And yet what they're doing is they're condemning him. They're judging him. And they are not very nice in Job's situation. And so he's responding, and this is part of his response to the initial round of them accusing him of sin or whatever they were accusing him of. And he basically just said, you know, God, uh, if, if he sends out the subpoena, if he sends out the call to come to trial, he's like, I'm coming immediately. Now, why would somebody want to go to trial? Why would he say that? Well, yeah, he's, he, want, he wants to go ahead. I'll go to trial. Because he knew who he was, and he knew what had happened, and he knew that what they were saying wasn't true. And he knew where he stood before God, and he understood that. And you see, there's a certain confidence, there's a certain boldness in us really understanding who we are in God. Uh, we've been on a theme in Bible study for quite a while, and that's our identity in Christ. And really taking hold of that identity and, and allowing the Holy Spirit, allowing God to really solidify what our identity is in Christ and why that matters. It matters because of the call that we have on our life. It matters because... Our enemy is a liar. It matters because our enemy is the accuser of the brethren. It matters because we beat ourselves up all the time. It matters because God has not called us to just live passively. But even when it comes to coming before him, he says we're to approach the throne of grace in our time of need. How are we supposed to approach the throne of grace? Boldly. Boldly approach the throne of grace. To find mercy and grace. To find help in your time of need. And so the, the word that we get from God is to boldly approach the throne of grace. So even when it comes to God, not just talking about sharing our faith, not just talking about living our life, not just talking about being the people that God's called us to be in this age, in this world. And there's a certain boldness that I believe God expects of us in that and that should could be coming forth from our lives. That he talks about we're to trample upon snakes and scorpions over every work of the enemy. That we're to take up authority over the works of the enemy. There's all of these things that involve a confidence, involve an authority, involve a boldness in our life. Even with him, going to go to the throne of grace. Boldly go to the throne of grace. And so if we're going to live in that kind of boldness, if we're going to live in that kind of confidence, we need to have some type of an assurance. We need to have some type of an understanding of who we really are in Christ. And that assurance isn't based on whatever our feeling is today. That assurance isn't based on whatever our opinion is. And it's not based on the opinions of other people. It's not based on what other people think. It's not based on what they've said or based on what they 
have expected or what they've taught us or anything else. It's based on God and his word and it's based on what he has said. And so the bottom line of what we need to look at and how we need to begin to hopefully continue to define ourselves, continue to see ourselves is contained in the word. Because that doesn't change. You're having a bad day, the word's the same. You're having a good day, that word's the same. Things are going your way, that word's the same. Things aren't going your way, that word is still the same. And so as God reveals, he says, this is who you are in me. This is who I've made you to be. This is what I've done. And this is the, the result of that in your life, that we really begin to believe that. We really begin to take that to heart. We really begin to live in that if we're going to live boldly and we're going to live confidently. Job here is displaying this. Of course, this is before Jesus uh, was manifest in the flesh. All right? This is Job and in confidence in his relationship with God. Confidence in who he is. Confidence in what God's done in his life. Confidence in how he's lived his life. See, he had an identity in God that he was confident in. And so he makes a statement. He says, well, well, God cries out for me. In other words, think of that as a legal thing. God calls me to trial. His, his response says, oh, yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go excitedly. I'm going to go with confidence. I'm going to go with boldness. I want it to happen. I'll go immediately. Put me on trial. See what happens. Because what he understood and what he knew is that he knew who he was. He, guys will put him on trial. Guess what the outcome's going to be? All those guys are wrong. And God does what he does. Okay, so you go through the book of Job, and you get to the end of the book of Job. God does what he does. All those guys are wrong, and that's it. That's how it ends up. Spoiler alert, that's how it ends up. If you've never read the end of it, that's what's what happens. And so you've got these friends. They sound awesome. They sound very theological. They sound very knowledgeable. But they're all just wrong. And you've got Job here who is just saying, I don't know why this has happened to me. And them just not believing him. Oh yeah, well that's not how God works. Well it is how God worked. Well you must have done this. He didn't do that. Well this is because of this attitude or that attitude. Nope, it's not. And so he's like, bring it on. Bring on the trial. Bring on the court session. Let's hear it out. I'm going to have my say, you have your say. Let's see what happens. He was eager to allow that to happen. That's confidence. Let's do it. That's boldness. Let's do it. You know, that whole idea of God crying out for us is kind of interesting because I, I think back to the Garden of Eden and, and there's God walking through the garden in the cool of the day. Who's he looking for? Adam and Eve. And he calls out to them, right? He cries out for them. Hey, where are you guys? And I find that really interesting because did he really know where they were? Yeah, yeah. yeah, he did. Okay, he knew. Did he know what had happened? He knew. All right, he did. But there's something fundamentally important about the fact that he called out for them to me. There's something fundamentally important that he had a conversation with them about what happened. Because what that shows us is that that's how he chooses to interact with us. 
And, and I think that's where some people miss the point. They kind of miss the point of who God is. They kind of miss the point of what's going on, why it's important to pray, why it's important to listen, why it's important to interact with him, why it's important that he calls out for us. That's our relationship. People are like, well, you know, I don't, I don't even bother praying. God already knows what I need. You missed the point. You missed the point. Well, why even bother, you know, believing for something? He's just going to do what he wants to do. Yeah, you missed the point, see? You missed it. Well, why would I share with God that I'm disappointed or that I'm upset or that I'm bitter or that I'm angry or that I'm happy or that I'm sad or whatever it is? He already knows those things. Yeah, you missed the point. The point is he wants to share that life with you. He desires to share that life with you. He desires to call out for you. He wants you to know he wants you. And that's why he calls out. He called out to Adam and Eve so that they understood that he wanted them. He was looking for them. He wanted to talk to them and he wanted to spend time with them. That was important. And that, that, that's the point of his relationship with his creation is that he wants to spend time with us. He wants to love us. He wants to show us that he wants to be with us. Because he does. And for whatever reason in his own desires and his own ideas of, of how things are and, and the reality of all of that, we play a central role in his life. We just do. And, and did we earn it? No. Do we deserve it? Heck no. He wants it. And he wants you to know that. He wants me to know that. And so in, in life, I mean, he calls out to us. Why? Because he wants us to know he wants us. You know, you even think about, go to the New Testament. Think about Lazarus. Lazarus is dead, right? Jesus called out. Even to Lazarus, who was dead, he called out. Why did he call out to Lazarus? Because he wanted Lazarus. Enough to bring him back from the dead. He wanted him. And there's something powerful about understanding that kind of desire in the God that we serve. Understanding that kind of desire that he has, his heart, and how big his heart is for us. There's something important about that. Because it, it may embolden you to boldly approach the throne of grace in your time of need. Because if he's calling out for you like that, and he wants to spend time with you like that, and he wants you in his presence like that, that adds a, a real a degree of confidence. If you can believe it, if you can accept it, it adds a degree of confidence to boldly approach him and to boldly approach his throne. You see, a, a gracious soul, and that's who God calls us to be. He calls us to be gracious souls as to who he is and what he's done. A gracious soul will readily answer. And, and not being forced into it. A lot of generations that have read these verses have used them to, to talk about death. And I'm really not talking about death tonight, so... That's not really my point, but you think about, I don't know if you remember the, the, the story in Luke chapter 12. Somebody look at Luke 12, 20. It's the story of Lazarus and the rich man, different Lazarus. But Lazarus and the rich man, 
and and it's kind of interesting, you know, the guy. There's two different ways they're described here, and, and there's something I want you to understand about this verse. Somebody read Luke 12:20. What does it say? Yeah. All right. Now, now, what's the difference between what Job described, where where God's calling out, He's saying, "Hey, come to trial," and He's like, "Yeah, I'm ready. I'm coming now. I'm answering immediately." What's the difference between that and the guy that's described in this parable in Luke 20? Yeah, because because what because what's different about it? God's calling Job, saying, "Hey, come on to trial. What do you think?" Yeah, I'm ready. Let's do it. What did this guy say? How was he coming? Is his soul readily answering the call? Or what's happening with his soul? What's happening with his soul in that verse? Your soul is what? Demanded from you. Demanded from you. And there's a difference between, yeah, I'm ready. Come on. The grateful soul, the gracious soul readily answers. What, what was this guy doing? He's holding on for dear life. My soul, what happens to my soul? It's got to be demanded of me. Really? Really? Those of you that have been around me a while, I don't really like to mule whip people. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. Somebody doesn't really want to do anything. They don't want to, they don't want to participate or do whatever they're going to do. Well, then they just do whatever they're going to do. I don't like to whip people into doing stuff. I just don't. And some people love that. They want to be chastised. They want to be whipped into doing things. I can't stand it. I just can't stand it. Because what good ever comes out of that? Really? And I don't know if you understand what I'm talking about, but you got a soul, and, and that soul really wants to participate, really wants to do something, really wants to move ahead. That's one thing. But to demand it, that, that soul is being demanded. I mean, how long can you mule whip somebody into doing something? I don't know. I guess until you turn your back, right? Your arm gets tired. One or the other. And it's such a burden to do that. Such a burden. But I know guys, they, they, they live their whole lives in ministries doing that with people. And, and people seem to love it. I don't get it. I don't get it. You want to do something, do it. You don't want to do it, don't do it. And I mean, there's some times where I do things I don't want to do because I know I should. And I'm just being obedient to something or I'm being faithful to something or I'm, I'm, I'm going ahead and, and moving ahead, but I make a decision that I'm going to do it, right? And so there's something in me that allows for that, something in me that wants to remain obedient, that wants to remain faithful in something. So I'll make that decision to do it. But I don't need anybody beat me and on my back to make me do the things that God's called me to do. I don't need that. You don't need that. And so the gracious soul is the soul that answers readily. Even if it's not something they want to do. Maybe. Because they're gracious for their life. They're gracious for their relationships. They're gracious for their body and the body they're a part of. They're gracious for the call on their lives. They're, they're, they're a gracious soul. They're giving. Two different things. Two different ways of seeing things. Two different ways of, of understanding things. You know, it's like not being pulled down 
versus laying down our lives. And they're two different things. Jesus talks about us laying down our lives. That's a willing thing. It's another thing to just be tackled to the ground. And pulled down, yeah. Two different things. Two different things. You know, God gives us a chance to speak. He hears us. He wants us to know that. He calls us. He doesn't drive us. He leads us. Right? He's not driving us from behind. He's leading from the front. He's given us the opportunity to follow. And and really, that's that's what that, that's the, the nature of not only the gospel, but that's the nature of God. When the Israelites were going through the wilderness, how were they led? How how did they know where to go? Yeah. The glory of God went before them. And when that glory would stop, they would stop. When that glory would go, they would go. But they followed after it. There's nothing driving them. The gospel's the same way. Jesus, he he lived among the disciples. He he ate with them. He he slept with them. He traveled with them. They shared life together. They willingly followed him. And so I want to just say that there's things in our life that need to change. Everybody sitting here, there's things in our lives that need to change. There's things in our lives that, that we need to rethink and redo. And sometimes, you know, God will send people our way to help us see that or help us understand that or to take us by the hand and lead us or whatever the case may be. But I, I want to encourage you not to be that stubborn mule. Just don't. The, the, the stubborn mule, I mean, in us, if we have that in us, what is that going to lead to? More of the same? Yeah. More of the same. More of the same of what? More of the same of whatever that probably we could do without. And let, and let yet there's somebody ready to take us by the hand and lead us out. Yeah, we should fight that as hard as we can, right? Yeah, man, we should we should get all nasty with them and be rude to them. We should bite that hand that's trying to help us. Cause, cause, gosh darn it all! If we want to destroy our lives, we have every right to. And yes, you do. You don't need to prove that. You don't. Keep going. You'll get there. Keep going. So, we give this opportunity. It, God gives the opportunity to speak to him. Now, there's two reasons why that I can think of. One is for our comfort. I like to talk to God because it, it makes me feel better. So there's my comfort. And then also there's something that is leads to his satisfaction with us talking to him. He likes it. And you see that because he elicits conversation from people. <laughs> And so there's something about our conversation with him that he likes. I don't know why. That's up to him. But it's there. And he does it enough in the scriptures that we can see that he enjoys it. Jesus, who was the 
manifestation of the Father. I mean, he's a human manifestation of the Father. He spoke to people all the time. He had conversations. He elicited, he, he asked questions to get into conversation with people. He talked to people he didn't like. He talked to people he did like. He talked to people that hated him. He talked to people that loved him. He talked to everybody. He talked to children. He talked to a woman at a well that nobody else would talk to. Had a whole conversation with her. He even got judged by his disciples for talking to her, but he still had the conversation. There's something about it that he enjoys. So we, we get a comfort out of it, and he gets his satisfaction out of it. And so like we were saying before, why, why would anybody want to go to trial? Well, they want to go to trial because they want to settle something. And so the, the, the invitation goes out. Come on. The cry goes out for us. Well, let's take it. Let's take that. And let's get this thing settled. Let's get right to it. And that's exactly what it says. No more speculation. Let's settle the fact. And that's it. And then the answer when in the, in the scripture where it says, I will answer him. Literally, what that means is it means out of the pit, here I am. That's what it means. So I don't know that Job had any real misunderstanding about where he was coming from. He knew. You know, people want to portray Job as some prideful guy, but I don't really see that too much in him. I see that God rebukes some things and, and, and speaks some things and asks him some questions toward the end, but... I mean, I don't see what people see in that because he answers him. He says, out of the pit here, am I, pit, here am I. In other words, am I claiming that, that I am anything special? No. Am I claiming that I have any special holiness? No. Am I claiming that I've done something to deserve this audience? No. Am I claiming that there's something about me that sets me apart from every other human being on the face of the earth? No. All I hear is my name. God saying, come on. And I answer, out of the pit, here am I. So there's a recognition there of an honesty of who we are. There's an honest assessment. You know where you came from? Now, I'm not asking you to tell me. I'm just asking you, do you remember where you came from? I remember where I came from. I don't think about it all the time, but I can remember back where I came from before I knew Jesus. And I know what I came out of. And I know the kind of lifestyle I came out of. I know all of those things. Right? And, and I'm not pretending those things didn't happen. I'm not pretending that wasn't my life. I'm not pretending that's where I came from, because it is where I came from. But I know some other things, too. I know that God loves me, and I know that God has, has given his life for me. I know that I've been set free, and I know that, that Jesus loves me beyond a shadow of a doubt, and I know that he seeks me out, and I know he calls me by name. And I know he wants to spend time with me. I know all of those things. I know that he's forgiven me, and I know that he, that he has has brought cleansing over my life. I know all those things. And so when he calls me, I'm not hesitating to come to him because of whatever happened in the past. Even though I know it's real, I know it's true, I also know those other things. And in boldness and in confidence, I'm going to step up. I'm going to do it. Because I know he loves me. And out of the pit, here I am. Here I am. You know, you think about Isaiah the prophet when, when, when Jesus appeared in the temple that day and, and then his train filled the temple. You know, you think about Isaiah. I mean, he immediately recognized who he was. You know, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm among a people of unclean lips. And you remember God's response to that? You remember what happened to Isaiah? 
one of the little one of the little flying things that was around him, took a coal and put it to his mouth, cleansed. All right, well we got that taken care of. Who had the problem there? God or Isaiah? Isaiah had the problem. God didn't care. He'd already appeared. He was already speaking. He was already revealing. Isaiah had the problem. So Isaiah, what's the problem? Unclean lips, people of unclean lips. Okay, no problem. Bang, you're good. Now, okay, can we get on to it? I got a call for your life. That's what happened. And, and we, can, we can try to make something else out of that, but there is nothing else out of that. Isaiah had the problem. God fixed it. Job here didn't have a problem. He just knew where he came from. And there he was, and he's still standing before God. He's like, we're going we're gonna to get this taken care of. Bring it on. Because you know what? You're going to call me by name? Out of the pit, here am I. Let's do this, and let's get this taken care of. And let this get, let's just get this done. And in his case, that's what he needed to have happen. In his case, he needed to have that, that whatever needed, the hearing and everything else that needed to happen, to be set free and to be released from the whole thing. Because how long is he going to sit there and listen to these guys talk? At least 30 more chapters? 20 more chapters? I don't know. Long time. And they were just going to keep going and keep going and keep going. And at one point, there's this little younger guy that decides he's going to throw his two cents in. I don't know if you read the whole story, but you got the older guys giving their opinions. Then the younger guy held his tongue for as long as he could, and then he just busts out with something stupid and said what he had to say. Couldn't hold it in any longer. So out of the pit, here am I. You took me out. Who took him out of the pit? God. Why would God take Isaiah, Why would God take Job out of the pit? Why? Why would God take you out of the pit? Because he, he wants you, right? Why else? He could have left you there, but he didn't. He took you out of the pit. Why? Because he wants you. That's why. And I know this seems simple, but I don't. I don't understand how hard it is to get this through our flint-like skulls. And it seems like it would be simple to get into our minds, to get into our hearts, get into our souls and our spirits. And I, I'm praying it does. I am really praying it does. Because to, to get past this, to get past this thing that holds us back, to get past this place of separation with God, is to put ourselves into his presence. Not just every now and then, but to continually recognize ourselves in his presence. And you start living in God's presence, you start living in that glory, you start living in that power, you start living in that love, in that mercy, and in that grace, all that stuff's going to begin to show through your life. It's just going to break through. It's going to break through the heart, it's going to break through the soul, it's going to break through the spirit. No matter what you do, you, are you a musician? It's going to break through into your music. You're a poet, it's going to break through into your poetry. You're a writer, it's going to break through into your writing. You work with people, I don't care what your job is, it's going to break through into that. Because you're sitting and you're, you're standing and you're, you're, you're sleeping and you're, you're, you're existing in that very presence of God. Why? There's no barrier. Why not? He wants you. But I want more of that. I want more of that glory through me. I want more of that power through me, more of that love through me, more of that grace and that mercy through me. I want it to permeate. You work in HVAC, it's going to permeate the HVAC then. And the people you're meeting in their houses. Whatever it is. Wherever you're at. And, and there's something powerful about that. 
You can try to manufacture it. You can't. It comes from being in his presence. It comes from dwelling there and, 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 and learning to live and learning to allow that to just flow through us. It happens naturally. It is what it is. You see, the fact he pulls us out of the pit says he wants, he wants us. Then it also speaks to something that some people just fight all the time, and that is it, it speaks to the utter, utter, U-T-T-E-R, utter, no, the utter unlikelihood that God will ever leave you in oblivion. Ever. Because that's just not who he is. He pulls you out of the pit because he wants you. And so if I need to say, God, out of the pit, here am I. You know what I'm really saying? I'm the one that you rescued that you really want. I'm right here for you. Because I didn't get out of that pit by myself. You pulled me out. So it, it's a recognition of who he is and, and what he's done. Now, I look at this, and I, and I hope you're not missing that this is all just primitive faith on Job's part. There's no written Bible. There's no law. There's no New Testament, Old Testament. Nothing like that. There's just people that have responded to the living God in their lives and worship, in a way, worship him in a way that they can. And here's a guy that has that much revelation and understanding of who God is. We've got the whole scripture. We've got the whole New Testament. We've got the words of Jesus written in red in our Bibles to make it easier for us to know he said it. We've got 2,000 years of church history. We've got a lot of stuff in our favor. A lot of books, libraries of books written about the book and about God and about ideas and about doctrine and about philosophies and about theologies and Christologies and all the rest of those kind of things. We've got all that stuff. But we can't seem to figure this one out. Yeah. So I have a question. Like, how do you <clears throat> translate this to someone who is stuck in their head, who says, I don't know what that looks like. It just sounds like you're just talking about something ethereal and intangible. What does it look like? Because then if you describe, well, this is what I do, then there are many people out there who would turn that into a religion, and it would just become a rogue thing, and it's not a free flow of a it's not intimacy. It's not genuine or spontaneous in relationship. But I think, you know, there are some people who are just totally blocked to be able to grasp because it's not a tangible thing. So how do you translate that for them? I mean, does it have to be a Paul on the road to Emmaus thing? Well, I mean, I think it comes down to two things. The first thing is that God has to be real somehow. He's got to be a real person somehow. And by person, I mean 
big P. Okay, but he's got to have. He's got to be more than just an idea, more than just a concept, more than just a a power. He's actually got to be a, a person, you know, in, in some kind of a form of a person that can be related to and can relate to us and that we can have a relationship with. So I think that's the first and biggest obstacle. And then the second obstacle, I think, has to do with people that just have trouble with relationships in general. That really just don't, uh, that, that are really hard-pressed to form and any depth of relationship with the people that are around them. So I think both of those are issues. And I think the first issue is the biggest issue, though. Because if people cannot relate to God as a person, if they can't relate to him as someone who cares about them, who speaks to them, who listens, and all those kind of things, they can't do that, then I don't know how you explain it. Because, because really, uh, a concept isn't enough to have a relationship with. A concept is just something to understand or something to apply to something else. So I think the first and greatest revelation has to be that God is a person. And so how does that happen? It's a God thing. It's a God thing, man. Yeah. I, I don't know how to make that happen. Yeah. So I can describe it. I can give examples of when I've seen it or how it's related to me, but that's, it's got to be their story. It's not mine. Yeah. I can only, I can only share, okay, this is what I've seen. This is what I've experienced. But you got to make it your story, or it's not going to make make a hill of beans difference. Yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't have a better answer than that. So. And so, expressing the utter unlikelihood that he's going to leave us. I think is important for us to get. The last part of the verse there says this, says he longs for you because he formed you and made you. So, so Job gives us a little piece, a little nugget of truth here in that God made us and he formed us and he longs for us. That word long is kind of a strong word, isn't it? To long for somebody. It's a love for the soul that you've made. A body that's the work of your hands. There's something powerful about that. It's a love for the soul you've made. A body which is the work of your hands. And so thinking that God formed us with his own hands. That he breathed into us the breath of life and we became a living soul. So that we're the soul he's made. We're the our bodies themselves are the work of his hands. He has a desire for us. He has a love for us. Which is only natural. I mean, even with inanimate things, if you take a lot of time and you take a lot of effort and you make something, you have a certain protection over that, don't you? You have a certain appreciation, desire, uh, love for that thing. Uh, you know, if you made, if you've toiled over something and you've made something, and this is inanimate. Remember, I'm talking about inanimate objects. 
You don't want somebody to just come along and smash it or just cut it or rip it or whatever or destroy it somehow or throw it in the fire. I mean, you just don't. Right, right, because you took the time and you formed that out of rock and without, with no small degree of effort and to see somebody completely destroy that, that would be bad. And, and you have a certain amount of, of desire, you have a certain amount of love for that thing, even though it's a thing. So now, something living you start, you start translating that right. I mean, it's exponentially larger, right, than an inanimate object. And so God formed us with his hands. He breathed into it, the breath of life. We're a living soul at, at his breath. And so there's a longing for us. There's a desire that he has. That word means to have a desire to be pale is the literal translation. To be pale, like to go white, and the idea behind that, if you're using a phrase, is be to become pale with anxious desire. <clears throat> so that's a strong word. Now I don't know that God actually becomes pale. I don't know what color he is anyway, but the fact that it, it would describe that kind of a strong emotion. I think what's really important here, that he would use that strong a language, that strong of a word, that he longs for you. He goes pale with desire for you. I think that's why I use the, the word pale is used, is that the draining of, of blood from, yeah, from the face or whatever, is it's a physical reaction, a, a longing that's so strong it produces a physical reaction. Now, again, does God really lose blood in his face? I, I don't know. It doesn't matter. He's spirit, okay? The point of it is, is that it's a strong, strong strong emotion that's the point and so again it expresses the utter unlikelihood that he's going to leave you in oblivion right he's not he's not and so he he expresses this emotion toward us job understood that how did job understand that think about that how would he understand that he had a relationship with God, right? Why was he looking? God's going to call him to court. Why is he willing to go? He has a relationship with God. Why is he excited about it? Why is he calling for it? Why does he want it? Because he has a relationship with God. He has a boldness. He has a confidence in it. He knows that, that God longs for him because he formed him he formed and made him. He knows that. And so he has, a, he has a confidence, he has a boldness to come before God. He has a boldness to stand before these other guys that are accusing him of all this stuff and say, no, you're wrong. I know where I stand, I know who I am, and I know what's going on. And he wasn't a perfect person. It wasn't that he'd achieved that on his own. 
It was that he understood where, where, where God felt about him and how he felt about God. He got that much of it. So he wasn't worried about the rest. Why are you? Why am I? Why are we worried about the rest if we can get if we can get to the point that Job was at? Job didn't have a savior. We do. Job didn't know Jesus. We do. All right? None of that had happened. All of the, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Jesus, all the rest of that stuff, the day of Pentecost, the felt pouring of the Holy Spirit, all that stuff, none of that had happened. It has for us. He didn't struggle with it. Why are we fighting about it? You understand my questions here? Because I'm not, I'm not trying to put anybody on the spot. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. I hope you feel good about it, actually. Because you should, you should allow the Holy Spirit to make this real in you. You should allow the Holy Spirit to make this living in you so that you can walk with a boldness and you can walk with a confidence that you can boldly approach the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help in your time of need as the Bible instructs you to do. That the day God calls you, you're not running the other way and hiding. But you're saying, yeah, God, what is it? Bring it on. That's the kind of confidence that wins the world. That's the kind of confidence that takes us into his presence on a daily, hourly, minute-by-minute, second-by-second basis. That's how it works. And actually live there. So good to live there. Time doesn't mean that much anymore. Things that you used to toil at like it was the end of the world become things that you hardly spend any effort on and they just it's just God multiplies that. You begin to, to see what you know little bits of faith in your life can actually produce physically when you dwell in that place. Powerful man. Powerful. It's the, the end of the striving for something you already have. The end of the striving for something that's already been provided for. The end of the striving to, to find your rightful and, and already prepared spot in the presence of God. If the devil can keep you striving, he's going to keep you way less productive than you could be in his presence. And way less happy and, and way more stressed out. All those bad things. If he can keep you from finding your place, the place that God's prepared in his presence. Think about Mary and Martha. Mary chose the good thing, the better thing. What was that? Sit at the feet of Jesus. That was the place prepared for her, and there she was. And you could argue, well, if Martha had sat there, then nothing would have gotten done. Well, maybe everything would have gotten done. We don't know that. You don't know what would have happened if Martha decided to sit there too and listen to the teaching of Jesus. Maybe, maybe everything, angels would have come and prepared. I don't know. What am I going to figure that one out? And if this all sounds crazy because you've identified with something else in your life, I, I want to encourage you that there's a real place that God has for you in his presence. But it's up to you to kind of really look and accept what he's done and, and accept who you are 
and move forward in his call over your life to be with him. God wants to bring you to rest tonight. Jesus wants to bring you to rest tonight in your spirit. And maybe you've been striving. Maybe you've, you've been churning things in your head. Maybe you've been trying to make things happen or you've been trying to force things to happen, whatever. Jesus just wants to bring you to rest tonight. And I really want to pray that over us. That, that Jesus would just bring us to rest tonight. And, and if you, you're feeling that, that call into his presence, take some steps tonight. Just walk there. Get into it. Get into where he is, who he is. Get into that glory. Get into that power. Get into that love and that mercy and that grace. Get in the middle of all that. And you know what my advice to you is? Stay there. Stay there. you got nothing better to do than that. You think you do, you don't. That's the best place ever. Ever. I mean, that's, that's the best place in the whole universe. And the best place is going to be the best place forever. For all of eternity. It's going to be that place. It's the best place. You'll never find a better place than that. Ever. So get there. Let's take a few moments and pray. I just want to take some time, really just to pray, a few minutes. And let's see what, what God would say to you tonight. Father, I pray for, pray for us, and I ask for those that are here that are really striving, that, that God, they could stop and just take hold of what you said about them, who you say you are and who you say they are. Jesus, I thank, thank you that you're calling us, you're crying out for us, you're crying out for us. You're coming after us. You want to be with us. And so God, whatever would be in some of the people that would try to resist that, I just, I just really cast that down tonight and say no more. I pray, God, that there would be a, a hunger in us that when you cry out, out of the pit, here I am. Out of the pit that you pulled me from, here I am, God. Not hiding. I'm not running. I'm not making anything up. I'm not pretending I'm somebody I'm not. I'm not pretending I'm righteous. I'm not pretending I'm holy. I'm not pretending anything. Just here I am. Right out of that pit you pulled me out of, here I am. You must want me because you pulled me out of that pit and you're calling my name. So here I am. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks, God. We just want to be with you. No better place. There's no better place than with you. Thank you, Lord. No better place than in your presence. No better place than in the middle of all your glory. No better place than in the midst of all your power. In the midst of all your love. In the midst of all that mercy and all that grace. 
God. I just want to be in the middle of it all. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. you God. I just want to take a moment right now and invite anybody to share one word. I mean literally one word. It could have two syllables or three syllables but one word. And if you have one word that you'd like to share I just want to give that opportunity. Anybody like to share a word? Frolic. Good. Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, God. Free. Good. So I'll be by saying amen. 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 amen.